Let's pray. God, we thank you that we do have the promise of your word. We know that it, uh, it doesn't return void. It doesn't come into our hearts and then come back without doing something. And so we pray tonight that it would do something, that it would uh, stir us up, that it would, it would speak to us. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here to teach us what it says. We pray that we would be listening with open ears and open hearts. So have your way with us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So tonight we're going to go through an overview the books of Second Timothy and the book of Titus. And so that'll wrap up, um, actually for us, that'll wrap up all of the writings of Paul, because we did Philemon earlier this year. Um, but Second Timothy and Titus wrap up what's called the pastoral epistles. And these are letters that Paul wrote to young pastors. And you can tell by the titles, he wrote one to a guy named Timothy and one to a guy named Titus. These are pastors that Paul knew well. He was trying to encourage them. Um, and so they, they do carry a lot of application that is super relevant for anybody who's in a pastoral role, um, but they're not exclusive for pastors. And we talked about last week, they're written for anybody who's serving the Lord. And a pastor is just one means of serving the Lord. And so these books carry encouragement and application for pastors, but they carry application for anybody who's interested in serving the Lord. And along the way, even in some of the parts that feel a little bit like, man, this is just specific to a, to a senior pastor in a church. Well, no, because in those segment, segments, Paul is outlining the way God views a healthy church. So even when Paul is saying, hey, as the pastor here, you need to make sure that the people understand this, every single one of us can look at this and say, oh, it's important to God that I understand this. Paul says, teach the people to act this way. We can look at it and say, oh, it must be important to God that I then act this way. And so the book is full of application in the books. And so tonight we are not going to be able to unpack every, every verse and every word. And that's, what we, we ha- that's the challenge we run into all year long on Wednesday nights. Because um, the word of God is, uh, it is far too full to just overview and say, oh, I got it all. It is, it's divine. It's written by God. And so it's meant for us to read and pray through and read again and pray through again and apply and then read again and pray through it again and let it soak into our lives. And these books are no different. So, you know, we are overviewing the Bible on Wednesday nights because it's helpful to then be able, as we're reading it on our own time, and say, okay, here's how it sort of connects overall. Here's some of the big picture ideas to keep in mind. But what we're doing in overview fashion is not a replacement for reading the Word of God in your own time. It's hopefully a very helpful supplement, but it will never be a good replacement. And so, um, so we've just got to lay that out, especially some of these letters of Paul. Um, there's just so much packed in there that if you just say, oh, I got an overview. I know what's in that book. You are selling yourself horribly short. But so we're going to start with 2 Timothy first. 2 Timothy is an interesting book for a lot of reasons, but it's Paul's very last letter that he ever wrote. And so there's a lot there. I mean, all of Paul's letters that we have are Scripture. They're all written by the Holy Spirit and Paul, and so they are all super relevant, super practical. But 2 Timothy carries a weightiness to it. There's a, there's a sense of heaviness in Paul's writing because Paul knows this is, this is I'm not, you know, this is, this is it. This is my last go-around, and he, there's a sense of that. Paul knows he's, not gonna, he's in prison at this point in time. He knows he's not going to be released. Um, I think it's in Philippians. He's in prison, and he says, hey, you know, when I get out of prison this time, I'm excited to come see you guys. I've got some other people I want to visit. I've got full confidence that I'll make it there. He's not saying that in 2 Timothy because he doesn't have confidence. Paul knows that he is, he is on the countdown to dying. And so there's a, there's a sense in which, you know, everything he's ever said really counts, but he wants to make sure that this one really counts. And so 2 Timothy is a very powerful book uh, of Paul trying to encourage a person in ministry. We talked about last week, ministry is just another word for service. So if you're in the service of God, then this book has an immense amount of application for you. It has all the weight and sobriety of Paul in his last letter, really his last will and testament, saying, okay, here's what you carry out. Here's what you need to do. Here's what it means to be an effective and a faithful minister of Jesus Christ. 
So he starts off with you know, his standard greeting of, hey, grace and peace. And in 2 Timothy, he says, grace, mercy, and peace. But the idea is carrying there. And he says, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful when I, every time I think of you and I'm praying for you because I remember your faith and the way it's grown and it's sincere. And we'll start in, in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Some translations say power and love and a sound mind. So Paul is telling Timothy, hey, I'm really thankful for you. I'm super thankful that God is doing a work in your life and that you know God. And because of these things, I want to remind you to kindle afresh. Some translations say stir up the gift of God which is in you. Why? Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of I'll say sound mind just because it's the same meaning, but the flow is a little better, I think. Um, so kindle afresh, stir up the gift of God which is in you. Now, there's, you can look at this two ways. You know, in a, in a very broad sense, what's the gift of God? Salvation. The salvation of God is the gift that we've been given. And we should stir that up in our hearts and remember what it means. Why ha- what have you been saved from? What have you been saved for? Who have you been saved by? That should be fresh in our hearts. That shouldn't grow stale, right? The fact that Jesus Christ came and lived and died for your sin should never get old. And so there's a very general sense where this, where this applies, but there's also a more specific sense where Paul's talking about a specific gift that Timothy has, a specific calling. And every single one of us has something that God has placed us here for. We all have a call from God on our lives. And it's different for every one of us. And, and it's important that we understand this that we are not all meant to look like each other. We are meant to walk in faithfulness in the calling that God has called us to. If you try and take on someone else's ministry or someone else's calling, then you're actually kind of saying, God, I don't need to have a direct relationship with you. I'll just kind of circumvent it and do it the way they're doing it. And I'll just kind of go around and I'll just take the long way. And God would, God would have us go directly to him and say, God, what do you want in my life? What do you want? from me? How can I best respond to you? And so he's telling Timothy, hey, God's given you something. Take care of it to make it count because God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. You don't have to do this. You don't have to go off half cocked, right? You can can stir up this gift, figure out what your gift is, figure out what God has called you to, and then stir it up. Grow in it. Let it. Let it mature in you And don't be afraid of what God wants to do through that because God has not given you a spirit of fear. If you have fear of anything other than what the Bible describes as fear of the Lord, it's unbiblical. There is no fear that is biblical other than the fear of God. And that's not uh, fear in the general sense that we use it. It's much more like a reverence and and an awe. So if you're walking in fear over the gift or the calling that God has in your life, then Paul would say, you got to go back and remember what spirit has God given you. He's given you a spirit of power and love and sound mind. Verse 8, he goes on. He's going to say, Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul says, okay, stir up the gift. Remember the Spirit of God that's in you. Verse 8, don't be ashamed either of the testimony of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And Paul says, oh, by the way, don't be ashamed of me. Because the gospel doesn't revolve around Paul. Paul's like, hey, don't be. So what if I'm in prison? Now, he's not, you know, don't, misunderstand Timothy's that legitimate personal risk here this is at a time when persecution is growing against Christianity and so Timothy understands and Paul understands too that for Timothy to continue in this could very well mean imprisonment could very well mean execution Paul says you don't need to be ashamed of that why because he says join in with me in suffering for the gospel if you suffer for the gospel of God there's no shame in that then there needs to not be there doesn't need to be any fear in that. But he says, God has saved us. Join us. Uh, sorry. 
Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who saved us and called us, not according to our works, this has nothing to do with what you've done, but according to his own purpose and grace. What is God's own purpose? What is the purpose of God? Well, in verse 11, he goes, or verse 10, he goes on and says, that purpose has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, our Savior is Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immorality to light through the gospel. Paul says, don't be ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is God's plan. It is, it is the purpose for which Christ came. It is the purpose for which I'm a prisoner. It's the purpose that transcends everything else. Paul's saying, Timothy, lay hold of this. He's saying, um, he's gonna go on in verse 12. He says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Why am I suffering? Because of the gospel. Because Jesus Christ came to abolish death and to bring life and immortality to light. He says, for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What did Paul entrusted to the Lord? His life. Paul says, you know what? I gave the Lord my life and said, you can do it with it whatever you want. And he's doing with it whatever he wants. And I have full confidence that he'll give it back to me in exactly the proportion that I need it. Verse 13, Paul says, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So Paul's saying, hey, stand strong. Right? Stand strong. Guard the gift that God has given you. The gifts that God has given us, the gift of salvation, but uh, the specific gifts of the Holy Spirit that God wants to use in our lives are not toys. They're never meant to bring attention to an individual. They're never meant to let us you know, make excuses for lack of discipline in our life or, or lack of holiness. They're, 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 not, they're not games. God wants to use them in our lives for a specific purpose. And Paul says, hey, everything we're doing, the whole reason I'm in prison, the whole reason you've been called, the whole reason you've been saved, everything about your faith is based on Jesus Christ came to abolish death and to bring life and immortality to light. Everything hinges around that. And Paul's writing with the clarity. You know, as Paul's getting ready to die, when, when people die or they're getting close to death, stupid things just don't matter anymore. Right? Paul is zeroing in on, I've got a very limited time frame, and I've got a limited amount of paper, and I'm going to say something that matters to Timothy. What am I going to tell him? The gospel matters. Jesus Christ matters. And what the world does to you over that, what the world thinks of you because of that, does not matter. The gospel of Jesus Christ matters. So chapter 2, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace of that is in Christ Jesus. The grace of God is a gift. You stand strong in that. You hold on to the fact that you've been saved by grace. You don't walk away from that. You do not let anybody take grace away from you. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, here's your call. You stand fast in the grace of God and you pass it on. Hold fast, pass it on. That's our call. That's Timothy's call. That's what every single one of us is called to. The things that you've learned from Paul. If you're in the Word of God and you're reading the epistles of Paul, you've learned things from Paul. So the things that you've learned, what are we supposed to do? Entrust them to faithful people. Teach them to other people. And that's not something that you have to be a pastor or a teacher or a speaker to do. There's no, there's no, you know, God does not have a, a school that you have to go to. But he calls every single one of us. Be strong in the grace and entrust these things. Entrust these truths. Entrust the facts of the gospel to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You teach other people so that they are in turn equipped to teach other people. So that they in turn are equipped to teach other people. That's what Christianity has been doing for 2,000 years. Right? And, and you can, I can trace back my spiritual lineage uh, better than I can trace back my genealogical lineage in some senses. Right? I can tell you that we're here tonight in part because there was a pastor in California in the 70s who was faithful to teach the Word of God. And that impacted a pastor who went to San Diego and taught the Word of God. That impacted a pastor who went to Indianapolis and taught the Word of God. That man impacted Scott Murphy, 
who came here and taught the word of God, right? We're, we're part of a church right now because men throughout time have been faithful to carry on this message. And, and we are now given the exact same charge to stand fast in the grace of God and to pass it on to others. So he's gonna go on uh, in chapter two and, and Paul just keeps giving these, you know, just there are these zingers and in a sense they're all the same because they're all focused around Jesus Christ. But in a sense you just gotta, you gotta keep hearing them because they need to sink into our hearts. So chapter two, verse eight, he says, remember Jesus Christ. You know, there are churches that have forgotten Jesus Christ. Right? There are churches today that if everything about Christianity is totally false, if God does not exist, if Jesus never came and never died, never rose from the dead, the churches would still exist. And they would still have people. Because some churches have turned into a machine and a system and an organization that frankly does not even need God to exist. They, 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 like, you know, they put his name somewhere in the building to make themselves feel better. But it has nothing to do with actually capturing the heart of Jesus Christ. Paul says, you remember Jesus Christ, who's risen from the dead, the descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. Paul says, you remember Jesus Christ, and remember that it bears consequences. It's gonna drive your life. It's the reason that I'm in prison, but guess what? The word of God is not in prison. The word of God is not shut up. Paul doesn't care. Paul says, you know what? I'm shut up, and that is not a problem. That is God doing whatever he wants to do, and that's okay, because the word of God is not in prison. For this reason, he says, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. He's, I'm enduring these things so that people can obtain salvation, so that people can come to know and understand the grace of God and the truth of the fact that Jesus Christ came to earth to save sinners. Paul is living out the ideals that he's preached because he believes that Christianity is real. He believes in Jesus Christ and he's passing it on to Timothy. In, in verse um, 15 of chapter two, he keeps going down. He says, be diligent. So he's told, you know, be strong, remember, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like cancer. So he's saying, hey, be diligent to show yourself approved. Do the work of God like it matters. Don't, don't slob around in the name of Jesus Christ, right? Live like it matters, because to Paul right now, it matters. Paul's about ready to die over whether or not this matters. And he says, it matters. I'm gonna die for it, and it matters. Now, we may, may or may not die for it, but it matters. He goes in verse um, 19. He says, nevertheless, he's kind of uh, 16, 17, 18. He's saying, you know, hey, watch out for, you know, don't get distracted teaching pointless stuff or, or cute doctrine. And there's guys who will come who will do that. But he says, nevertheless, in verse 19, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Remember, he says, or be diligent to show yourself approved. Why? Because the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. We talk about it a lot here but in, at church, but there's, this, is, this is one of those verses that combines the sovereignty of God with the responsibility of man. Why should you remember Jesus Christ? Why should you be diligent to be approved as a worker of Jesus Christ because the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord is in control. The Lord is calling the shots. The Lord is orchestrating everything. God is completely and absolutely in control of everything. And, and, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. You cannot say God is in control. Therefore, if I walk in sin, it's just because God gave me this temptation. No, 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 no. Therefore, because God is in control, he did not save you so that you could walk in temptation. He saved you so that you have the freedom to not walk in that temptation. So now Paul's gonna go and, and shift gears just a little bit, and he's gonna talk about personal holiness. And we've said it over and over and over again this year. Holiness is not what you do to be saved. It is what you do because you are saved. Living a holy life 
will never make God love you more. It will never inch you closer to the presence of God, right? Because you're a sinner and God is holy. And the only way that gap is bridged is if the holiness of God comes across the line and makes you holy. So if you have believed in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, you are holy. And now, because you're holy, you're invited, you're, you're commanded to walk in that holiness, to not step back out of that line, to not step out of that safety zone. God is saying, okay, because I have made you holy, walk in holiness. He says, verse 20, now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Okay, every one of us can understand this. In your house, you have a lot of different things that hold liquid, right? In our house, my mom has this porcelain teapot thing that takes up an amazing amount of space in our cabinets. I hate moving it around. Um, but, you know, for the proper occasion, whatever, she pulls it out and the girls have a tea party or whatever. It's, just, it's, a, it's a piece of porcelain, but you put something really nice in it, right? You make tea, you have a ceremony, you get your sugar bowl and your cream bowl and your saucer and your cup and your, you know, you pull out the fancy silverware and the fancy whatever else. And, and you have your, you do your thing, right? Well, that teapot's made out of porcelain. We have another bowl in our house that's made out of porcelain too. We actually have, we have a couple of them, right? And it really does the exact same thing as a teapot, right? It's got, a, it's, got a, it's got an in and out. You can put fluid in it and pour it out. It's made of the exact same materials. It, it's a fluid, you know, it moves fluid. And it's the exact same material. What's the difference? The difference is what goes in it, right? I don't, I don't pour what's in the toilet into my teacup. I pour what's in the teapot into the teacup and what's in the toilet into the septic tank. And you better be able to know the difference between the two or you're going to have some serious problems. Paul says, look, they're both vessels. And, and a vessel can be cleansed for honor or for dishonor. That teapot is honorable, right? You, you pull it out for special occasions. It's, it's for a, you know, let's do something ceremonious, whatever else. The toilet is not really honorable, right? There's, there's just like no, there's no glory in being a teapot and being a toilet, right? And Paul's saying, what are you? You're going to, it's the same material. The only difference is what goes in it. What are you putting in? What are you putting into your life and your heart? Because it's the same material, and God has cleansed you. You can, you can scrub out. I mean, when you go to Lowe's and buy a brand new toilet, it's as clean as a brand new teapot, right? God has made you holy. What are you going to put in? And so that's where he's going with this. And he's warning Timothy. He's warning us. Because everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. And he says, now, verse 22, flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. That's our call. If you want to remember the gospel effectively, if you want to stand strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, if you want to be a faithful minister of the truth of the word of God, what do you got to do? You got to walk in holiness. So what are you putting in? Are you putting in youthful lust? Or are you pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace? God is calling us to live holy lives. And now, whenever you say this, you know, the question always arises, well, I, you know, I try, but I don't live perfectly. And the answer is, yeah, we will all stumble. We will all mess up. We will all miss the mark. That is not, that doesn't mean we lose our salvation. It means we go back to the Lord and ask him to make us holy again. And he does because he's faithful. And then he gives us the charge one more time. Hey, walk in holiness this time. And he gives us the power of his Holy Spirit and we'll mess it up again because we're imperfect. And we'll go back and say, hey God, give me the power and give me the cleansing. And he'll say, okay. So it's not, 
a call that you now have to be perfect in your own strength, but it's a call to live a life that will invite the blessings of God in. Live a life that, that, such that you are preparing yourself to be that vessel of honor. So that's where he's going. In chapter three, he's gonna just kind of switch gears a little bit. He's gonna say, hey, uh, difficult times are coming. All right, Timothy, listen. You know, here's the things I've been telling you to do. Here's part of why. You need to understand that life's gonna be rough. And you're going to have false teachers. You're going to have people who are coming into Christianity for the sake of just their own personal profit. You know, it's, it's not going to be easy. But in verse 14, he says, You, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from who, whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, all right, listen. Hard times are going to come. There's going to be nutcases out there. There's going to be televangelists who are just interested in getting your money and, and have no interest in really spreading the gospel. And he said, but you, you don't have to worry about them. You worry about who? You. You continue in the things you've learned. If you've been at this church and you've learned the word of God, continue in them. Continue in it. And he says, and, rem- and remember that from childhood you've known the sacred writings. What are those? The scriptures. He says, you've known the scriptures, so continue in the scriptures. Why? Verse 16, all scripture. How much do you think is included in the word all? Probably all, yeah. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. How much scripture? All of it. It's given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. If you're reading the New King James, it says it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Do you want to know how to walk in righteousness? Go to the Word of God. Do you want to know the accurate doctrine of Christianity? Go to the Word of God. Do you want to be rebuked? Or do you want to walk in your own, you know, blissful ignorance? Go to the Word of God. And it says it's that you, the man or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God is going to give you what you need. If you want to walk faithfully like Paul was calling Timothy to, you're not going to do it with wall plaques and and devotionals and verse of the days and whatever else. You're going to do it by digging into the Word of God. And Paul goes on in verse 4. He's wrapping up. He's wrapping up his final letter. So he's he's picking up in intensity. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Paul says, all right, I'm summing up. Here's what you do, Timothy. You preach the word of God. You be ready, in season and out of season, to preach the word of God. You reprove, you rebuke, and you exhort the people. By the word of God. You preach the word of God. That's the summary of what it means to live a faithful life. You live and breathe and preach the word of God. And he says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. He doesn't say, read the verses that will make people feel good. He doesn't say, be positive and encouraging. Right? What does he say? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. The word of God Ephesians describes it as a sword. Swords are sharp, right? You swing a sword, or you work with with knives or blades or pocket knives, whatever else, you're going to get cut sooner or later, right? I mean, any eight-year-old who's got a pocket knife has probably cut themselves. Some of us get to work with bigger power tools that have bigger blades. And there's an awareness that if you cut yourself on this thing, there's nothing to sew back on. But when we come to the word of God, it's a sword. It's going to cut us. God wants to cut things out of your life. And sometimes that means taking a sword and chopping off a third arm that's sticking out of your head. Sometimes that means, you know, just slicing off a callus that's getting a little too big with a callus slicer, right? It's, the Lord's going to do different things at different times, but if you come to the word of God, expect to get cut. Don't come to the word of God and say, well, God, you've got to, you know, make me feel good. Say, God, what do you want to say to me? And sometimes God will say, here's what's wrong. 
Here's the problem. Here's what needs to be fixed in your life. If you are coming to the word of God and you're not getting rebuked, you need to go back and really ask yourself, are you reading the word of God honestly? If you're going to church and you're not getting offended, you need to go back and ask yourself, are we really covering the word of God? If you come to this church for any period of time, you should be offended. You should be offended, not because I'm a jerk, although I can be, but because the word of God is going to speak to you. And the word of God has an ability and a power to speak directly to the problem that you're dealing with. And God will sometimes say, you are doing the wrong thing. And that can be offensive if we have hearts that are hard and not willing to listen. Paul says to Timothy, this is your charge. This is your calling. This is what you do. You preach the word of God. So for every one of us, if you want to be faithful ministers, if we want to be diligent, if we want to stand strong in the grace, what do we got to do? Live and breathe and preach the word of God. Let it cut us. Let it carve you. You know, it's like, it's like you know, great wood carvers. I kind of enjoy watching. They're, they're, it's amazing what wood carvers can get out of a block of wood. And if you ask a pithy wood carver, you know, how do you, how do you chainsaw carve a bear? What's the answer? Well, you take a log and you just cut away everything that's not a bear. Okay. That's what God's going to do. God is sanctifying you. He's going to cut away everything that isn't who you're supposed to be. And he's going to sanctify you. And so then as he's going on, Paul says, verse 6, um, he says, verse 5, but you, be sober in all things, and do a hardship, and do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's his charge. Be sober, and do a hardship, do the work, fulfill the ministry. In verse 6, he says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul just kind of hands over the ministry of Timothy. He says, you know what? My time's up. I'm going to die. And so you need to now take this and be faithful. And each one of us should live with a little bit of that awareness. You know, you, you may not get your head chopped off for believing in Jesus Christ, but you may come to the end of an opportunity to impact somebody. And, and Paul says, all right, it's your turn to take this. It's your turn to faithfully deliver the word, so, so go for it, because my time's just about up. And as wrapping up, he says, verse 18 of chapter 4, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul dies, church history says, Paul died by getting his head chopped off because he refused to worship Caesar. He said, no, Jesus is God and there's no other. I'm not, I'm not going to say anybody else is God. So he chopped his head off. And Paul's summary of that is the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Paul's operating from a different frame of reference than most of us use. But if we're going to serve the Lord effectively, we've got to operate from a different frame of perspective than most of the world uses. Most of the world is trying to get a happy existence tucked away here on earth. And that is selling it short. We were created for eternity in fellowship with God. And Paul says, you know what? If this head and this body right now just need to get separated in order for me to, to really step into what God has for me, that's like being delivered. That's being rescued. I got my head chopped off. That was like the greatest rescue operation ever in Paul's mind. That's the gospel. And Paul's saying, this is what matters. This is how we live it out, okay? So that's really 2 Timothy. Titus, I know we're getting a little late, but we're still going to do it because, well, why not? Titus is a, is a, is a short book. It's another pastoral epistle. Um, you can read through it in just about three minutes if you're reading fast. Um, so it's not super long, but Paul is writing to this young pastor, Titus, and we get some just killer insights into how God views a healthy church. And Titus is, um, we can kind of pick up from the way Paul references him in other places. Titus was a rough and tumble guy in a rough and tumble world. Timothy was a little more, you know, nervous of his calling. Paul has to keep telling him like, hey, you know, be strong. Keep, you know, don't, don't neglect what the gift that God gave you. You can do it, you know, come on. Titus is a little more like, go get him, bud. And um, so, Titus, at this time, this is an earlier letter of Paul's. The, the New Testament is not put together chronologically in terms of when it was written. Um, 
So Titus at the time is a pastor on the island of Crete, which um, if you've ever heard or been called a Cretan, it comes from this place. And so actually Paul will reference a writer in the ancient world in chapter one, verse 12. He says, one of themselves, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then Paul says, this testimony is true. Paul says, this is, this is the island where Titus is at. Paul says, you know, one of, the, one of the current writers has said, everybody on the island where you're at is an evil beast, a lazy glutton, and a liar. And I know that's true. So Titus is in a little bit of a, you know, a rough neighborhood, right? And Paul's going to give him, here's the charge. Here's how you grow a church in a rough neighborhood. What do you do? Chapter 1, verse 5. He says, for this reason I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid grain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Titus's charge here is appoint elders. You, same as Timothy, Paul said, pass it on to faithful men. Paul is saying here, you find faithful men, you raise them up, you train them, and you equip them, you send them out. That's, Christianity is a, it's a sending religion, right? We don't say, we all gather here to our place. You know, Muslims all have to come back to Mecca. Jew, you know, Orthodox Jews all, it's all about Jerusalem. Christianity, it's all about the kingdom of God. And so we go out. Our, the last commission, the great commission from Jesus is go. And so it's about going. Titus here is told, you equip guys to go. And then uh, in chapter two, he's gonna say, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Okay, Titus. You're a rough-and-tumble pastor in a rough-and-tumble neck of the woods. You need to speak the things that are fitting. And then he's going to go and he's going to give an outline of Paul's vision for the church. And he's going to address four different groups of people and say this is what they all need to be learning and this is how they need to be growing. And so again, you could say, well, I'm not a pastor. Yes, but you're going to fall in one of these four categories. And so you're going to get a written explanation from Paul and the Holy Spirit of how God expects you to conduct yourself. So he starts off, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. So to the old guys in the room, be sensible, be temperate, be dignified. Don't be an old guy with the maturity of a 13-year-old, right? If you're an old man, you should act with the maturity of an old man. Be, and, but don't act like a grumpy old man. Be sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Be part of the ministry of God. Older women. Paul's smart enough to not call them old women. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. So to the older ladies, lay off the sauce. Right? Just, just There's no reason... To, to be getting smashed all the time as an older lady. Um, be reverent in your behavior. An old, you ought to be able to respect an old lady. This is not like you know, super hardcore uh, radical stuff necessarily. Don't go around gossiping. Okay. So that, verse four, they may encourage the young women. Now this is interesting. Paul recognizes what is very true, which is that probably young women are gonna receive instruction better from older women than from some guy standing up here who really has no idea what he's talking about, right? If I were to stand up here right now and say, all right, young moms out in the room, listen up, I'm gonna tell you how to be a great mom. I'm gonna tell you how to be just a, the best wife anybody's ever seen. You are all gonna say, dude, shut up. So Paul says, all right, you don't have to tell them. You just teach the older women what to tell them. So older women are in charge of are supposed to be a part of teaching the younger women the following. You'll notice I'm not teaching the younger women right now. I'm teaching the older women. So they're teaching the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, 
to be sensible, to be pure, to be workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will be dishonored. If you're a, uh, if you're a young woman with a husband and kids, love that position. Love it. Enjoy it. And interestingly, um, when he says love their children, you know, a lot of times in the scriptures when it talks about the love and, and it, as Christians were told to love each other, a lot of times the word is agape, which means like the, you know, the love of God for us, that self-sacrificial I would die for you love. The word for love, uh, when it's talking about loving their kids, is much more uh, equivalent to like. So love your husbands and like your kids. And frankly, most kids know that they're loved by their moms. But you've all seen the person in Walmart whose kid doesn't really know if their mom likes them. And so Paul is just telling the older women, teach the younger women to love their husbands, to like their kids, to enjoy the, the season of life that they're in. In verse six, he says, likewise, encourage the young men to be sensible. And in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. So now, Titus, as the young guy, or in this situation, myself as the young guy, is on the hook. He says, all right, you tell them to be sensible and good deeds and you be the example. So if you guys see me acting out of line, guess what? You now have the privilege and the right to say, dude, you're out of line. Uh, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. Don't use sloppy arguments. Don't, don't believe in Christianity just because you feel like it's good. No, he's like, be sound in your speech, beyond reproach. I don't believe in Jesus because it feels good, right? And, and none of us have better believe in Jesus because it feels good. It's because it's true. So he's saying, you've got to have sound doctrine. You need to be dignified. Paul's kind of got a thing here for being dignified. You know, he's not saying be stiff and, and never have any fun, but... Sometimes we've got to remember the world has very little interest in respect and dignity. And the knowledge that we're serving the Lord should bring a certain sense of weight and, and maturity to all of our actions. Uh, in two, chapter 2, verse 11, he's going to say, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Paul says, all right, just like Paul told Timothy, the grace of God has appeared. And you know what it's doing? It's instructing us. God has saved us and now he's teaching us. What is he teaching us? To deny ungodliness and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, right now. Holiness is not something we should be getting around to. It's something we should be taking seriously right now. We should be looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. We should be excited about the return of Jesus Christ. He is coming soon. How soon? I don't know. Nobody does. But he's coming soon, and he told us to live with that expectancy. Paul says, this matters. The grace of God has appeared teaching us this, teaching us to be watching for the returning of Christ. And then it says, verse 15, these things speak and exhort and approve with all authority. Let no one disregard you. If you come to this church, you need to understand that these truths are gonna be declared. And if you don't like them, I mean, you're welcome to find another church. But Paul's saying, don't, don't just let people walk over these truths. If you're going to teach the truth, you teach it like it's actually the truth. You don't need to waffle and walk it back and say, now, I don't want to offend anybody in the room here, right? Sometimes you teach the word of God and you know it's going to offend somebody in the room. Now, it's not an excuse to be willfully offensive, but the word of God will impact people. And Paul's telling us, here's how you teach the older men, the older women, the younger women, and the younger men. Don't let anybody blow this off. This matters. So every single one of us have a role here in the church. We all have an opportunity and a calling from God right here in the book of 2 Timothy, in the book of Titus. And Paul's saying, okay, what are you going to do about it? 
Because the grace of God has appeared and it's teaching us to deny ungodliness. We're called to, you know, like in 2 Timothy, be a vessel sanctified for honor. You've been cleansed by God. What are you going to put into your life? That's what Paul's encouraging Titus. He's saying, you've got to make sure this church understands this. You've got to equip this church in this knowledge of the word. And that truth that Paul passed to Titus is the same truth for every church. It's true for us right now. So what are you doing with the word of God? What are you doing with the grace of God? What are you doing with the gospel? Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died and took on all the sins of the world so that you could be holy in the presence of God. The holiness of God crossed the line of our sinfulness to save us. What are you going to do about it? Paul says, you can, you can, you can, you know, you can defy Christianity while you're on earth. You can refuse to accept it. You can, you can mock it. You can spit in its face. But you can't ignore it. You have to do something with it. You cannot just blow it off. What are you going to do about it? Because it's either everything or it's nothing. Right? Jesus was not a great moral teacher. Jesus was either God. He was either God or he was an absolute raving lunatic. No man can say what Jesus Christ said and be just a man. He's either an insane man or a divine man. You've got to pick one or the other. Paul says, you make sure that everybody in your church understands this. And so for us right now, every person in our church, every person in this room tonight, you need to understand this. If you don't understand this, you need to talk to the person next to you. You need to say, all right, I, I want to understand this. I want to walk in the gospel. And then just as we're, as we're wrapping up here, he says, verse four, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, because none of us has ever done a righteous deed on our own. Any righteousness you've ever performed is through Jesus Christ, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When the grace of God appeared, it saved us, not because we did anything worthy of being saved, because none of us have ever done anything that remotely approaches the holiness of God. But according to his mercy, by the regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. He made you a new person, and then he gave you the power by the Holy Spirit to live out the life that that new person is called to. And if that wasn't enough, he's poured it out on us richly. You don't have like, you know, a little bit of the Holy Spirit to string you out along until you die. No, you've got the power of God living in your heart. And Paul says, what are you going to do about it? And so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you realize we get to partake in all of the riches of the kingdom of God? We're talking about the God who can create the cosmos, a universe that is so big that your brain cannot physically comprehend it, and he sums it up by saying, yeah, he made the stars too. It's just like, yeah, God decided to make, you know, planets and stars and rocks and asteroids and moons, and they're, they're you know, you can't even comprehend how many miles apart they are. Yeah, he did that too. That God, all of the riches that he possesses, were heirs in. We're partakers in. We get to be a part of it not because you've done anything, not because I've done anything, but because of his mercy. And he says in verse eight, this is a trustworthy statement and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who believe God will be careful to engage in good deeds. If we're not walking in holiness, it's because we don't really understand the God we're talking about. If you're, not, if you're refusing to walk in holiness, it's because your God is way, way, way too small. Paul says, you... you Titus, you teach this confidently because the word of God is everything. The grace of God, the mercy of God is everything. This has nothing to do with what we've done. It has to do with what we're called to do. So what are we called to do? You're called to accept 
the gift of God. You're called to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have not accepted that truth, you need to. God is inviting you for free to partake in it. If you have, that's fantastic. You now need to walk in holiness. Not because it'll make God love you anymore. Not because it's going to do anything. You know, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not because that's what saves you. It's because that's the only appropriate response to understanding the depths God went to to save you. Right? That same God who has all those riches and all that vastness packed all of that into one single human being, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, absolutely sinless life. And when he died, he somehow, and it's, it's, it's impossible for our brains to even comprehend it, but he absorbed every sin that you could ever possibly commit and paid the entire price for it. The price of sin is death, right? The only, the only way to truly satisfy the debt of sin is for innocence to die. Sin is the death of innocence. So innocence has to die in order for sin to be washed away. Jesus Christ was that innocence and he died for us. Paul says, what are you going to do? So we're teaching it. Paul said, teach it confidently so that those who believe God will be careful to engage in good deeds. And he says, all who are with me greet you. Verse 15, greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. You know, we're, we're not... I get fired up about this. It's not because I'm mad at anybody. It's because the grace of God is so powerful. It's because it's such an amazing gift that to, to know about it, to know of it, and walk out without it transforming your life would be the greatest waste that you could ever accomplish with your life. To know the grace of God and walk away unchanged is, is the ultimate tragedy. To be saved and then refuse to walk in holiness is a very close second. And so Paul's writing these letters. He's writing them as, this is the guy who's going to die for what he believes in. And he says, this matters. You teach it confidently because the grace of God matters. And as he's wrapping up, what's he say? Grace of God be with you. Because it's all about the grace of Jesus Christ saving us. It has nothing to do with what we've done. It's about the free gift of Jesus Christ. And what are we going to do about it? So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have uh, preserved it for us, that you wrote it down for us, that you texted us a message from heaven so that we could know the God that we're worshiping. We pray that we would not walk out of here unchanged, but that we would really know and absorb and increase and grow and draw closer to you, that we would want to serve you more, want to better understand the love of a God who would do that for us. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us, that you would go before us and equip us. We pray that, like these guys, Titus and Timothy, that we would be faithful, that we would pass on the words that we've been taught to other people, that we would stand strong in the grace. We thank you that your grace is with us. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our God, our Savior, and our King, that we pray. Amen.